Welcome to the One and O podcast, hosted by Joe Cook and Brad Kellner. The One and O podcast is part of the Everyone Gets a Trophy podcast channel. Please make sure to listen, rate, subscribe, and review. And listen to not only our show, but the Everyone Gets a Trophy podcast, hosted by Paul Wallington and Kevin Dunn. If you'd like to hear, or if you'd like to, if you'd like for us to talk about something specific, or just want to reach out, email us at Everyone Gets a Trophy at gmail.com. That's Everyone with the number one gets a trophy at gmail.com. And of course, our show would not be possible without the following sponsors. Audio visual consultations. Give them a call, 512-255-8678. You're spending a lot more time at home these days. Make sure you have your home TV setup done the right way and done the way you want it. The pros at AV Consultations can make that happen. It's the perfect holiday gift for you and your family. Just give them a call, 255-8678. And the One to Know podcast is also brought to you by Altstadt Brewery. Altstadt Beer, it is German beer made here, brewed in Central Texas, available wherever you shop for beer across the state of Texas. The absolute best beer that you can find. It's the official beer of the One to Know podcast. It should be the official beer of you as well. It's Altstadt Beer, no impurities, no regrets. So we got pretty lucky. Uh, so you and I got lucky as far as workload. We were set to record last week, and then we ended up not being able to do so. Um, in about you know 30 minutes after we uh, figured out we couldn't record, Texas game got canceled. So with, with Kansas got canceled, so uh, we saved about an hour's worth of effort there. That uh, meant we didn't have to talk about a game that is now rescheduled for the. Uh, 12th of December, and Texas still seems pretty likely to win. Uh, COVID caught up, uh, caught a lot of games uh, this past weekend. It's going to continue to do so, it looks like, and even with the basketball schedule. Uh, but there were two Big 12 games uh, that I made sure to pay attention to this weekend. And the first was a absolute beatdown uh, by Iowa State, Texas's upcoming opponent, uh, of Kansas State, just went 35 nothing at halftime, uh, just made, you know, Farmageddon theirs the entire time. Brees Hall had, you know, over 100 yards. Uh, I think he had at least 135 total yards, two touchdowns. Uh, Charlie Kolar caught a touchdown pass. Uh, so big game for, for uh, Iowa State. And then Oklahoma, just, you know, as is tradition, dismantling uh, the Oklahoma State Cowboys in Bedlam. So uh, that now puts all these teams in an interesting place as far as big tw- as far as the Big 12 race goes. Iowa State still leads uh, with its 6 and 1 conference record. And that's who comes to town this Saturday or this Friday on the day after Thanksgiving for the Longhorns. Iowa State uh, ranked number 15th, I believe in the AP poll will face the Longhorns ranked number 20th this Friday at 11 a.m. and Texas, Brad, is right in the thick of the Big 12 title race. They somehow, despite everything else going on outside the program and perception about the program, whether by fans, administrators, or recruits, despite all that, they've got an important game this upcoming weekend against a team that will really tell them whether they're for real a Big 12 title contender or not. Yeah, massive game for both of these teams on Friday, right? Iowa State trying to win its first conference championship since Woodrow Wilson was the president back in 1912. 
It's been a long time since the Cyclones have won any conference, and they are hoping to do so this year. They need a win on Friday, and of course the Longhorns need a win on Friday to keep their hopes to get to Arlington alive. Massive, massive game. Should be a heck of a lot of fun. Actually, a similar situation to the game between these two teams in 2018 at DKR-TMS. Iowa State, Texas, sort of a de facto Big 12 semifinal game, and the Longhorns absolutely dismantled Iowa State. 24-10, the final score there. It was 24-3 until the final two minutes of the football game. Texas was in control pretty much throughout that contest. So Longhorn fans obviously hoping for a similar result. The Vegas line has fluctuated between one and two points, but Texas is the favorite right now. It should be a fascinating game, Joe. I'm really looking forward to this one, and we've got a lot of compelling storylines and a lot of fun matchups to look out for between these two teams. Yeah, definitely. And I was trying to think how much this game reminds me of that 2018 game. I think, you know, other than, I mean, I feel like the teams are on a little bit of a different uh, uh, trajectory right now. Texas kind of seems to be treading water. They had a nice win over Oklahoma State that they got a lot of Oklahoma State help with. And then a close game versus West Virginia. And that was their last game. And they kind of, in those last two games, seem to be barely keeping their head enough water, just doing enough to win, as is typical with the Tom Merman era. And Iowa State is coming in, like I mentioned, after a 45 nothing just domination of Kansas State. So I kind of feel like Iowa State, you know, also riding the fact that it's going on one of its best seasons ever, even despite a loss to Louisiana as their non-conference game. You know, if that didn't happen, and you have to credit Billy Napier and Louisiana for that, Iowa State is the team this weekend that has the playoff aspirations we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And while it's very unlikely that's still the case, you know, Iowa State is coming in here as, you know, perceived to be the better team, likely is the better team. Uh, and it'll be a very interesting matchup because, as Tom Herman has mentioned, they do some things on defense, whether it's Jim Heacock's, you know, uh, you know three safety, three down lineman defense that has caused problems throughout the Big 12, or if it's maybe throwing two to even three tight ends on the field with Charlie Kolar leading the way for the Cyclones. So, uh, this is it's similar in some respects in that it's the same teams and kind of a a similar uh, pass forward, uh, kind of acting as a, a Big Twelve semifinal like it did in that in, in that time frame. But I just kind of feel like Iowa State's the team riding a little bit higher right now, especially after twenty. It's going to be twenty days without a game for Texas. Yeah, Iowa State played really, really well last Saturday. And look, I won't bury the lead. If the Cyclones play that well here in Austin on Friday, then they're going to beat Texas, and they might beat Texas by a couple of scores. I mean, that was a complete performance by Iowa State. Now, I know Texas is an upgrade in talent versus Kansas State, especially this version of Kansas State. But still, I mean, if Brock Purdy plays the way he played last Saturday, if the Cyclones' defense is as good as they were last Saturday, and if Brees Hall does what Brees Hall has done all year, then Texas is in trouble. But we'll see if that happens, because as good as the Cyclones were against K-State, you know, they were that bad against Baylor a couple of weeks before. I mean, they were really, really bad against Baylor, and Baylor had a chance to win that game in Ames. They were down by seven in the final minute driving before Charlie Brewer threw an interception in the end zone. But Brock Purdy had three interceptions in that football game, one return for a touchdown. The Iowa State defense was getting picked apart by Charlie Brewer, who is not having a great year and looks to be a little bit banged up injury-wise. And Iowa State, just despite their 6-1 conference record, they have been very inconsistent at times this year. So, 
I think if you're a Texas fan, you got to bank on that. You got to hope for that to happen if Iowa State could be a little bit inconsistent. And then I've been thinking about this, right, since the cancellation announcement of Texas Kansas, or I should say the postponement announcement of that Texas Kansas game. Now, is it good or bad for the Longhorns, right? And I think there's pros and cons to not playing that game last weekend. The pros, the biggest pro, obviously, is you get your guys back from injury, right? I mean, you get another week to get healthy, uh, a chance to get Keontae Ingram back, but also a chance to get Joshua Moore fully healthy, a chance to get both of your tight ends fully healthy, uh, another week off for Jordan Whittington as he tries to come back for injury, and obviously no more potential injuries by having to play a football game against Kansas. So, That's the big pro right there, and you've got another week to game plan for Iowa State, right? I mean, Iowa State will have a short week since they played on Saturday. They've got to play this game on Friday. Meanwhile, the Longhorns, as you mentioned, it'll be 20 days between games for them. And also, starting last Wednesday, they were able to focus solely on Iowa State. So they've got that advantage there. But you talked about the Cyclones coming in with some confidence because of what they did this past Saturday. Oh, that would have been Texas, too. I mean, Texas would have gone up to Lawrence and absolutely hammered Kansas. And I know a lot of Longhorn fans are like, oh, but Kansas has given us problems, and oh, Tom Herman can't blow teams out. Dude, Kansas is a high school team right now. Texas would have won that game, and they would have won that game going away. And I think what would have been the most important aspect from that football game that the Longhorns could have taken away is I think the offense would have looked good. And the offense needs some confidence right now. I mean, even though the Longhorns have won three games in a row, Joe, it's no secret this offense has been struggling. They could have used that game against another team to actually work on some things and to gain some confidence and some momentum going into this Iowa State football game. So it would have been a nice confidence boost for Texas to get that game in Lawrence. But uh, obviously the double-edged sword, the good thing on the other side is you get the extra rest to get healthy and to get ready for Iowa State. So you've got the uh, never-ending rest versus rust conversation with this Texas football team because it's been so long since they've played another team. Yeah, exactly. And that kind of almost gets you into thinking about Tom Herman's normal times with, with extended layoffs. And there's good and bad. You have all three of his bowl wins at Texas against Missouri, uh, against Georgia, and against Utah. He figured out what the bright buttons to press on all those teams were uh, in order to get them up and ready for games against opponents seen as superior to them, uh, especially especially Georgia and especially Utah. Uh, he got them up and ready, and that is kind of a similar scenario as this upcoming game. Now, it's not the exact same because you know there's it, it's still the midseason, and there are two more games to go after this, and three if they if they sweep these next three games, but the layoff is similar. And he, he, there, there had to have been a lot of, you know, thinking in Tom Herman's head that, you know, I have to do some of the same things that I've done uh, in recent years when I have this long layoff. Now there are, there are some bad examples for Tom Herman uh, because the 2018 season did not start very well uh, with that loss to Maryland up in Maryland uh, they had plenty of time to figure out what life was going to look like at least for a half uh, without Anthony Wheeler playing linebacker after a targeting hit in the Missouri Bowl game. And they marched Malcolm Roach out at middle linebacker. So hmm. sometimes they do uh, some good things uh, with that time off. They've, they've won three football games. Uh, sometimes they have some real head scratchers. And we'll see if, if what they decide to do. Um, we've kind of seen those offensive struggles play out in recent weeks, and it's going to be a lot. It's going to be a big boost for this team to have uh, B. John Robinson and Roshan Johnson ready. It'd be even better if they had 
came out to Ingram, but Tom Herman called him questionable. Uh, one guy that he didn't mention on the injury report that he said is healthy, 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 and, uh, you know, it's taken every rep in practice, but, you know, the eye doesn't lie, is that's Sam Ellinger. And, you know, quarterbacks obviously don't take hits during practice, or if they do, they rarely do because of how valuable they are to the program. Uh, I bet Sam Ellinger was no touch, even even smelling within smelling distance during practice these last few days. He's a guy this past few weeks, this past week, he's a guy that they needed to have healed up, be at his 100% or as close to it as possible for these last two games. And, you know, I know Jordan Whittington is a boost. I know having your tight ends healthy and available is a boost, but having number 11 as healthy as he can be going into this game gives Texas the the best chance of winning uh, more than any of those other factors. Yeah, no doubt about that. And that's one of the big storylines going into this football game. I mean, going into the season, we kind of figured Sam Ellinger and Brock Purdy were going to be the two best quarterbacks in this conference, right? We figured, all right, Spencer Rattler, by the end of the year, maybe he'll enter that conversation. But we've seen it from Sam, and we've seen it from Brock Purdy. Sam was the first-team all-conference quarterback on the preseason list. There were a lot of Iowa State fans who were ticked, thinking it should have been Brock Purdy. Like It felt like those two guys far and away were the best two quarterbacks going into this year, and they've been incredibly disappointing. Like, Iowa State is winning games in spite of Brock Purdy. And Sam Ellinger has been so clutch for Texas, so I don't think you can say that. But he obviously has not been the same Sam Ellinger. I mean, we were having conversations about Sam Ellinger maybe being the third-best quarterback in the country going into this season. And there were national pundits picking Sam Ellinger to make it to New York or at least be on the virtual Zoom call for the Heisman Trophy ceremony at the end of the year. And Pro Football Focus came out with their quarterback grades, and they've got Sam 41st in the country at this point in the season. So two quarterbacks that we expected to be playing really, really well at this time of the year who have just struggled for their respective teams this season. And I'm with you, man. I mean, making sure that Sam Ellinger is 100% healthy or at least as close to 100% as you could possibly be is a huge, huge priority for this Texas football team because we know this team goes as he goes And he's got to play well against a very, very good Iowa State defense for Texas to have a chance to win this football game on Friday. What about on the other side of the ball? Texas is basically going to have pretty much everybody on the defensive side, too. Keandre Coburn should be back at nose tackle. Everybody else should be uh, growing healthier and healthier. Reese Lato uh, may be playing with a club on his hand, but he'll be out there. What about on the defensive side of the ball, considering they're going to have to stop Brock Purdy uh, they're going to have to stop the nation's leading rusher in Brees Hall, and they're going to have to stop an All-American tight end. Those are three things kind of unique in the Big 12 Conference where everybody wants to spread it spread it out and throw it all over the place. It's not super common with the tight end, and when somebody like Brees Hall, it's not the, the main strategy for Iowa State. So what are you seeing when the Longhorn defense is on the field, what they're going to need to do to stop Iowa State? Well, the strategy for the Texas defense should be the same strategy they've used in the last three games, and that's make the quarterback beat you, right? I mean, against Baylor, make Charlie Brewer beat you. Against Oklahoma State, make Spencer Sanders beat you. Against West Virginia, make Jarrett Dagey beat you because all of those teams have very, very talented running backs and very, very good rushing attacks. And if you're Texas, you got to focus on slowing those guys down, and the Longhorns did that, right? I mean, only three yards a carry allowed against Baylor. They held Chuba Hubbard to a career low in terms of yards per carry. I think he was at 2.7 in that game up in Stillwater. And Letty Brown, I think, had 43 yards rushing. Or maybe West Virginia as a team 
had a total of 43 rushing yards in that game here in Austin a couple of weeks ago. That's what you have to do. Now, this is the toughest challenge that this Texas defense has faced in terms of a running back because, yeah, Brees Hall has been the most productive running back, not only in the conference, but in the country this year. He's been absolutely ridiculous. And I think Iowa State's offensive line, I don't think it's great, but I think it's better than any of the offensive lines the Longhorn defense has seen over the last three weeks. Now, I still give the advantage to Texas up front, but Iowa State's rushing attack has been damn good, and Brees Hall is a step up in talent, even over Chuba Hubbard, right? Even over this year's Chuba Hubbard, Brees Hall has been better. That's what you have to do. I mean, I don't know if you're going to stop Brees Hall. Now, I said that about Letty Brown, and Texas pretty much stopped Letty Brown, but you have to contain Brees Hall the best you can and make, make Brock Purdy beat you. I know he played well against Kansas State, right? 16 of 20, three touchdowns. He was incredibly efficient. I mean, he looked great, but for the majority of the season, Brock Purdy has been a problem. He's been a turnover machine. He's taken some bad sacks. He's made bad decisions. Like, you want to make that guy have to beat you. So that's priority number one for Texas. Do what you've done the last three weeks. Try to take away the opposing the opposing rushing attack and then make the quarterback beat you. I think that's going to give this Texas defense the best chance to be successful. Yeah, I'm, I'm really focusing on the linebackers, and I'm going to include uh, the spur position with Chris Adamora and Anthony Cook in this in, in, in that discussion. Uh, linebackers are going to have a big challenge based because of the two positions that we know Iowa State is good at. They're going to have to take on uh, Brees Hall down after down and try to fight through some blocks from a Iowa State offensive line that I think was had to replace a lot of uh, starters from last season. And I know it's moved on to a certain point in the season, but uh, you know, just like uh, uh, Juwan Mitchell and Demarvin Overshone are improving at linebacker, so too are those guys. So I'm going to be following how those guys handle not even playing Brees Hall. But with the way the Iowa State offense works, you know that Charlie Kolar is going to have some times matched up either against them, whether physically in the run game or in, in pass coverage, uh, including and also Chris Adamora at that spur position. So I'm really keying in on those. Um, I think you can rely on good to great from the Texas defensive line at this point. Uh, like we've, like you've mentioned plenty of times, there's not much of a drop-off, if any, uh, from Keandre Coburn to Devondre Sweat. It's kind of like that across the line, <clears throat> save maybe the, the jack position when you go from uh, Joseph Osai to Jet Bush. Uh, but basically, I'm following those linebackers because I think that the, the positions of strength on Iowa State on offense are, are built to attack those that position on the Texas defense. So yeah. uh, Coleman Hutzler is going to have a pretty – pretty big week ahead of him in order to make sure that they're able to take care of business and um, we'll see what happens when they even put some of the backup linebackers in. No, 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 no. This is not one of those games, Joe. This is not one of those games. You <laughs> have to have an Oklahoma. More and more against West Virginia. I wonder how much we'll see them uh, this time against Iowa State. I don't, I don't know top, if you can afford that. got to get the job done first. Yeah, no, no doubt. And look, the linebackers have gotten better throughout the course of this year. We're, we've talked about development being a huge issue within this football program for the last decade. And you can see some actual concrete development going on with this defense and especially at the linebacker position. I mean, night and day difference from the start of the season to right now where Jawan Mitchell and DeMarvion Overshone are talent-wise and just comfort-wise, right? They look comfortable. They're making good decisions. They're making smart reads, and they are attacking. They are flying to the football. 
they are no longer a weakness, right? I don't know if they're like a, a, a great group by any stretch, but they are not a weakness, and they are getting the job done week in and week out. With that being said, you cannot have Jawan Mitchell lined up against any of these Iowa State tight ends or against Brees Hall. Like, if I'm Iowa State, if I'm Tom Manning, their offensive coordinator, that is the matchup I am looking for. If Jawan Mitchell is in space against any of my three future NFL tight ends or against Brees Hall, I am attacking number six all day long. Now, DeMarvion Overshone, because of his background as a safety, I feel pretty good about him being lined up against any of those tight ends. Yeah, he might not win every battle against a guy like Charlie Kohler, who's one of the best tight ends in the country, but I know DeMarvion Overshone can hold his own in coverage, and his size makes him good enough to go up against opposing linebackers. But man, that is a problem for Texas if Jawan Mitchell is matched up one-on-one with those tight ends, whether it's Kohler or Chase Allen or Soner, I think is the name of the third guy. That is a bad matchup for Texas. So I would prefer to get corners or safeties. Uh, I know the corners haven't been very good, but I trust them at least more in space than I do Jawan Mitchell covering one of those tight ends in space. So I agree with you. Linebackers are going to be incredibly important, not only in coverage, but also, you know, as that second level trying to stop Brees Hall and preventing him from getting into the secondary. But man, I am very nervous about Jawan Mitchell having to cover any of those Iowa State tight ends because that's a matchup nightmare for me. One uh, small depth chart note that we can look at before we go into some bigger pictures is uh, we figured out who the holder is. Remember with Ryan Bucheski's. ACL injury, it was unclear who was going to take over as the holder. It was pretty clear that Cameron Dicker was going to take that spot as a punter, but it is Zach Edwards, a, uh, a backup deep snapper um, who will be the holder this week, at least listed on the depth chart. Uh, so we have that taken care of. I know you were losing a lot of sleep over that, uh, Brad, because you know it's, it's part of the battery. You have to make sure that you know, all that, all that is taken care of uh, when they are lining up for field goals. Trying to think of another defensive position matchup, though, after that little break that uh, need to watch. And I think you kind of mentioned it about the corners. Uh, you were hesitant, it sounded like, because of the matchup problems these tight ends produce. And I think, you know, not I think you mentioned, you know, their names, but you also have to think about their size. Like these are guys who are all at least 6'4", 250, some are pushing 270. And that's going to be a a difficult enough situation for someone who's 6'4", 220, like DeMarvian Overshone. But that would be a really tough matchup uh, for any of the potential cornerbacks on the team, like Deshaun Jameson, who's only listed at 5'10", 180. Even Jalen Green is 6'1", 197. So uh, I think that just kind of speaks to the – really difficult matchup that these tight ends produce and why Iowa State uses them uh, so effectively. Well, the freshman year, Caden Stearns, please stand up. I mean, it'd be nice to get that guy back this Saturday because I think there are going to be times against Iowa State, or excuse me, this Friday, in which some of the safeties are going to be lined up against some of those Iowa State tight ends, and Caden Stearns just hasn't been the same player the last two years. I don't know if it's injuries, I don't know what's going on with him, but Man, if Texas could get freshman year Caden Stearns, the wolf of DKR, back this Friday, that would be absolutely huge for Texas. And I'll tell you what, Joe, a guy that not enough Texas fans are talking about, he plays for Iowa State. You know, everyone's so caught up with Brees Hall and caught up with these tight ends and caught up with Brock Purdy, and rightfully so. I mean, those guys are all really, really talented players, and most of them, if not all of them, are going to be playing on Sundays 
in the not-too-distant future. But Iowa State's number one wide receiver, Xavier Hutchinson, has had a great year, and he's really picked it up as of late, too. And once again, those tight ends are really good, but the three of them, Joe, have combined for 48 receptions this year. Hutchinson himself has 41 catches. He leads Iowa State in receptions. He leads them in receiving yards. He leads them them in receiving touchdowns as well. The Texas corners have not been good. Texas has the worst pass defense in the Big 12 statistically. Now, Tom Herman talked about that. He said that was a point of emphasis during the bye week, trying to get those corners better on man-to-man coverage. They're going to be tested this Friday. I mean, Iowa State, their overall receiving core in terms of the actual wide receiver position, not that deep, not that talented. But Xavier Hutchinson, everybody knows he's their number one, yet he's still given opposing defenses problems all year long. So, That guy, you're going to have to find a way to slow that dude down a little bit. Otherwise, that makes Iowa State's offense that much more effective. Yeah, and Texas should know that you can focus on those tight ends, but there is a wide receiver or two on that team that can kill them. And that's that's what happened last year. I think it was Tariq Milton got to him last year uh, on that long heave by by, uh, Brock Purdy. So, you know, this is it's just kind of all the quality, uh, the, the the basic quality across each position. Uh, at Iowa State just speaks to the uh, not only the ability to recruit by by Matt Campbell, but the recruit the ability to identify recruits, develop those recruits, and and make them into a Big Twelve title contender in Ames, Iowa. So, what else are we missing? What else is there uh, that we need to hit on uh, when the Cyclones come to town before we move on to? Uh, a really important player in Tom Herman's era. Yeah, you know, I'll give some quick betting numbers right here, and these actually favor Texas, so trying to give some Longhorn fans some optimism as we get ready for Thanksgiving and then get ready for this football game the day after. Uh, Tom Herman, we know how bad he's been against the spread during his tenure at the University of Texas. He's actually 3-0 and against the spread against Iowa State, and meanwhile, Matt Campbell is 0-4 against the spread versus Texas. Now you say, well, we don't care about the spread. Well, you should, since Texas is favored. So if the Longhorns win against the spread on Friday, that means they are going to win the game outright and still have a chance to win the Big 12 title. Also, Iowa State, when they are ranked under Matt Campbell, they are 1-5 away from home. It's weird. 1-5 away from home when they are ranked. So... Take that for what you will. And then for Iowa State, man, I mean, they've been in this spot before. We talked about the 2018 game here in Austin, 2017. They were 4-1 and one in conference play. They had that big upset in Norman against Oklahoma. They were sitting in first place atop of the league, and then they lost three of their last four Big 12 games. Last year, second half of the season, they're ranked. They're in contention. One loss in Big 12 conference play. They lose back-to-back games to Oklahoma State and Oklahoma. They're out of contention. So, I think you and I have talked about it, Joe. I know I've talked about it to a bunch of other people a million times. Iowa State, they've been in this spot before, but they haven't been able to get over this hump. They haven't been able to take that next step. I mentioned it's been over 100 years since they've been able to win a conference championship game. They've never played in a Big 12 conference championship game. 
I mean, there's a lot of history that goes against Iowa State. And they're obviously trying to say, forget the history, forget the past. It's all about the present. And maybe that stuff doesn't matter. But I will say, whether it's Matt Campbell or anybody coaching Iowa State, when they get to spots like this, they generally fold. So something to look out for for uh, for Texas in this game on Friday, plus those betting numbers I gave you. Tom Herman generally has done well against the Cyclones during his coaching career. Yeah, and it, it's interesting how often does Iowa State have those that ability to fold. It's not a very uh, thing that comes around very right. often. You know, like you mentioned, uh, it's been since the Wilson administration since they uh, last won their conference. So um, the fact that they've had this opportunity multiple times under Matt Campbell kind of speaks to the quality of Matt Campbell. And, you know, I'm sure Texas fans are hoping that that breakthrough, breakthrough does not happen this week in Austin and, you know, doesn't happen at all. And Matt Campbell finds a job maybe somewhere in the Big Ten uh, after he has elevated Iowa State the way that he has. And uh, through all the work he has done bringing a Mount Union and a Toledo type of philosophy to Iowa State, uh, but yeah, I mean, this is a big, as big an opportunity uh, for Iowa State as it is for Texas to continue to move in the Big 12. Uh, I'm sure this is a year with Purdy, with Coar that they've pointed to and thought this is where they can do big things, and they have done big things. Uh, but you know, to continue on to those bigger and better and greater things, it, it takes winning this game. And if that doesn't happen, then you know, maybe that speaks more about the Iowa State job than it does about Matt Campbell. But it probably also still says something about Matt Campbell yeah and I think both of these coaches are coaching for something Joe I mean obviously Tom Herman's coaching for his job right and there's a lot of folks around these parts who believe that if Tom Herman loses another game especially in the regular season then he's going to lose his job so needless to say it's important for Tom Herman and man Matt Campbell I mean we've heard his name linked to some big jobs in years past he's turned down every offer that's been thrown his way at this point but that Michigan job Feels like Jim Harbaugh's tenure could be coming to an end. And I don't know if getting to the conference championship or winning the Big 12 is going to be the difference between Matt Campbell getting offered the Michigan job or not getting offered the Michigan job. I don't even know for sure if Matt Campbell wants it. But this would be a huge win. This is a huge opportunity for him to really increase his status in coaching circles and either make more money at Iowa State or find a way to get a much bigger job than Iowa State. So, pretty important game for both of these dudes on the sidelines. Cannot wait to see it. It's a, uh, it's a, good, it's going to be a good Big Twelve football game, and you know, I'm, I'm excited for it. And uh, we'll be making my way up to DKR uh, in order to catch it. There you but, go. Uh, one, one person who will be making what is very, very likely. His final appearance as a Longhorn at Daryl K. Royal, Texas Memorial Stadium, is quarterback Sam Ellinger. And he, he was asked if this was going to be his last game. And, you know, the Reese's Senior Bowl invite was brought up. And he didn't give a, a for sure answer. But, you know, it's senior day. They're honoring him. Uh, he has a Senior Bowl invite. Um, and it's just more, more than likely uh, going to be Sam Ellinger's final home game at Texas. And it's going to be, uh, you know, I, I wish that for his sake, even as someone who's just trying to neutrally watch the team, that there was 100,000 people there. Because someone like Sam Ellinger, uh, you know, even, even despite what the wins and losses may be for the effort he's given this program, for the time that he has been in control and, and as the face of this program, 
if anybody does deserve a 100,000-person send-off, it would be him. But, mm-hmm. unfortunately, we're not going to get that this week. He'll have to uh, deal with a 20,000-person send-off or whatever it's supposed to be, 15,000 people. I'm sure he will love that. But he's mentioned he's got a game to play. And there may be time for emotions at some point, but there is a game to play. And this game, along with these next three or four, will be a huge determinant, I think, in his legacy. Uh, Whether he or not he wins a Big 12 championship will be a huge determining factor in how he is viewed. I know that uh, both Paul and Kevin rated him within the top five of, I think, all-time Texas quarterbacks. Uh, but there are only three quarterbacks who have won a Big 12 title. It's Vince Young, Colt McCoy, and James Brown. And, you know, I, I don't think anybody – let me let me think about what I was going to say here. I think everybody knows that Vince Young and Colt McCoy are the two people who lead the way as far as quarterback goes. Mm-hmm. And I know that Sam Ellinger has put up a lot of stats, but if he doesn't have the uh, wins not only over Oklahoma but in Big 12 title games to separate himself – that's going to go a long way towards, you know, not diminishing, uh, but not strengthening his resume as much as it probably should be with the statistical, uh, uh, with the statistical achievements he's made in his time at Texas. Yeah, whether it's fair or not, quarterback legacies are defined by wins and losses, and in college they're defined by championships, right? Whether they're conference championships, whether they're national championships, that's how it goes in the NFL. Quarterbacks' legacies are defined by Super Bowls, right? You can put up a bunch of great stats, but if you're not winning games and you're not winning important games, then, you know, how great of a player were you? Now, it's unfair, I think. And Sam Ellinger's been an awesome player, and he's done so much for the University of Texas. And, you know, I think his struggles this year, yeah, partly they fall on Sam Ellinger, but I also think his coaching staff has failed him, and I don't think the other 10 guys on the field with him have been as productive as they've needed to be. Now, I think the bigger problem with that is the coaching staff really failing this entire football team as a whole. And, man, I mean, as great as Sam Ellinger's been, it would almost feel like his career's a little bit of a waste if he can't win a conference championship. And once again, it might be unfair because it's a team sport and it's hard to put all of that blame on just one of the starting 22 and, you know, one of the 85 scholarship guys you have on your football team. But that's sort of how it works. So this stretch right here for Sam is really, really important. And not only, like, winning the Big 12, that's important, but, look, people remember what they saw last, right? We're a very recency bias influenced society we know how great Sam Ellinger was in 2018 we know how good he was last year despite the records uh, the record in terms of the win-loss record for the team Sam Ellinger's play has regressed this year like he has not been the same quarterback he looks more like freshman year Sam than he looks like sophomore or junior year Sam so if things don't work out this year for Texas and they lose one of these last three games and Sam Ellinger continues to struggle then unfortunately the narrative for a lot of Longhorn fans is going to be uh, yeah, but like that guy just, yeah, he couldn't get it done, especially his senior year when it mattered most and he couldn't save his coach's job and he couldn't lead the team to a conference title. Like that's going to be what a lot of folks remember Sam Ellinger for. So man, it sucks that it might be that way. Hopefully it's not right. Hopefully Texas can win the big 12 title this year because Sam deserves it. He's meant so much to this program. He's done so much for this program, but there is no doubt these next Hopefully four games for the Longhorns are going to be huge in defining the legacy of QB1. 100%. And I think just looking back at it now, you know, I think we touched on this is, yeah, it, it's great. I mean, it, it, before 
uh, Sam Ellinger got there as your as your buddy on the triple option. Uh, uh, Rod Babers like to say they were in quarterback hell. Uh, they they went from what David Case McCoy to David Ash to Tyrone Swoop to Gerard Hurd, just all over the place. Sam Ellinger helped stabilize that quarterback room. Tom Herman did as well, but Sam Ellinger's play stabilized that room and gave Texas, you know, a plus at that position uh, and has over these past few years. And he's won big games. He's, he has beaten OU. He won in the Sugar Bowl, uh, you know, won all three of the bowl games for Tom Herman. There's been games he's won, uh, but there just has been too many games that, you know, maybe not he was personally responsible for losing. But like you mentioned, quarterbacks are judged on wins and losses. And Tom Herman, I, I mean, even admittedly, puts a lot of the wins and losses and the responsibilities for them on Sam Ellinger's shoulders week after week after week. They, they ask number 11 to do so, so much, and he does a lot of it. Mm-hmm. But because he's asked to do so much, even when he falls short, it, it's kind of like the whole team is falling short uh, in that scenario. So um, I think, like I mentioned, that these next few weeks really will make a huge determinant in how Sam Ellinger – is viewed uh, by Longhorn fans, but I've got a pretty warm, pretty warm take here in that within the next 10, maybe 15 years, probably 10, there's going to be a quarterback who is going to approach Sam Ellinger's statistics. Uh, You know, he's a guy who's second all time in a lot of categories, passing categories, touchdown categories. Um, And I, have a, a an argument that that's a result of Tom Herman being one of the first you know users of a spread modern spread offense at Texas uh, and to have a multi-year quarterback at the reins. You know Vince Young didn't even start I think all three years. I think even in 2003 uh, there were times that he split snaps with Chance Mock. Vince Young had two full years to himself, mm-hmm. uh, and that's why he doesn't. He has obviously has the national championship, but doesn't have a ton, a ton of the records at Texas. Colt McCoy started most of his four years, especially the last three, um, and you know was in a modern spread offense. In between Colt McCoy and Sam Ellinger, nobody had a long enough tenure, and nobody was in a dynamic enough offense to where they really produced anything. And Tom Herman, as, as much issues as he has had uh, in calling his offense and, and leading the program, it's closer to, it's the closest thing to a modern spread offense that Texas has had uh, th- at least in the last decade and since Colt McCoy. And whoever, whether it's Tom Herman, whoever comes after Tom Herman, whatever year, season that may be, they're going to bring a similar spread offense. They're going to bring a, a passing offense that you know is successful in the Big 12. And quarterbacks at that point will be far more proficient in it because that's what they'll have more and more will have seen that in high school and have been trained in that way. So not to say that this diminishes any of Sam Ellinger's accomplishments, but I just think that because of the way offenses are going, because of the way quarterbacks are going, and because of the way just that offenses work, whoever the next three-plus-year starter at Texas is at quarterback, whether that be Hudson Card or, or whether that be somebody who's not even at Texas or not even in high school yet, I think they approach his statistics, uh, maybe win more games, but I think they approach his statistics and more and more quarterbacks probably within the next 20 years if they have 
more more seasons and time to start will approach Sam Ellinger and maybe bring more wins with it. Well, that's the caveat right there, what you said at the very end, Joe. Like, if they get enough opportunities to start, if they get enough seasons to start, and with no disrespect to Sam Ellinger at all, he's been incredible, but the fact that he's been here for four years, like... I, I think a lot of quarterbacks who put up similar numbers or who would put up similar numbers to Sam Ellinger would be gone in the NFL after three years, right? And I think also this is more of a shot at the Texas football program and not a shot at Sam at all. Like, hopefully the Texas football program, whether it's under Tom Herman or Urban Meyer or somebody else, hopefully they're at the point where they're not having to start true freshmen at the quarterback position. Like, Sam did a lot of good things as a true freshman in 2017, but, man, it would have been really nice for him to redshirt and really sit for a season and just kind of absorb the speed of the game and just learn the Texas offense. That would have been a nice luxury to have. So hopefully, like, the the Texas football program is healthy enough where they don't have to play true freshmen and guys don't get four years to start at quarterback at the University of Texas so I don't disagree with you like yeah because we're such a pass happy sport right now and it feels like we're trending more that way both at the University of Texas and in the national landscape of college football then yeah if a guy gets three and a half years worth of starts like Sam has gotten then sure he's got a good chance to break some of those records that Sam has set or will set down the stretch here but I kind of hope that yeah, a guy's not going to have an opportunity to get all of those starts here at UT because hopefully the program and the quarterback room is stable enough to where eh, a guy starts for two years and then you've got the next guy ready to go as a sophomore or a redshirt sophomore or a junior, and he can take over and play for a couple of years, you know? Yep, that's the way healthy programs work. Yeah. And Texas was not a healthy program, and now uh, because of Sam Ellinger, they're, at least quarterback-wise, looking pretty healthy. I think most uh, – coordinators and head coaches across the country uh, would love to have a quarterback room that looks like Texas is right now. So um, it's a very complex legacy. It's a good one. Uh, I don't, it's not a great one yet until um, he wins a conference. And I think that, you know, even he would admit that, but still a lot to be celebrated uh, for Sam Ellinger. Uh, definitely one of the, I think when uh, COVID lockdowns and all that first started and, us at Inside Texas are trying to figure out, you know, some stuff right. We we decided on an all 2010s team, and he was the no-brainer as far as quarterback goes. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, a lot of good has been done by Sam Ellinger. Yeah. It'll be uh, quite a sight to see him, like I said, take the field one last time at Daryl K. Royal Texas Memorial Stadium, a place he's been going uh, for a long time since he was a kid and, uh, place he'll definitely come back to, I feel like, but this will be the last time he wears pads and is on that field doing it. Yeah, I'll tell you what, Joe. I mean, my memories of Sam Ellinger will always be positive, right? I mean, I'm always going to hold him in a, an extremely high light because he gave so much to this program and he fought his ass off every single time he took the field for the burn orange and white. And you know how much UT means to him. And he's meant uh, nearly as much, if not just as much, to UT as well. And he did get this football program out of quarterback purgatory and also just kind of out of purgatory in general. So my memories of number 11 will uh, will be positive regardless of how these next couple of weeks shake out. Exactly. Uh, moving to another sport, Texas basketball. Yeah, baby! Might be starting today with Texas taking on the Vaqueros of Rio Grande Valley. 
we talked a little bit about Shaka a couple of weeks ago, and I think it's worth uh, talking about what he mentioned the other day, and that basically there are six guys who are standing out to him right now. And I think he mentioned that in his press conference yesterday. And they're basically the six guys you would expect. Uh, maybe five with one surprise, and it's making the starting lineup decisions tougher for Shaka Smart. And he said the six guys standing out are Matt Coleman, Courtney Rainey, Rainey and Andrew Jones, Greg Brown, Jericho Sims, and Kai Jones. And you can only start five, so uh, I'm going to throw this to you. Brad, who should be the five out of those six? Uh, it feels like your starting five should be Matt Coleman, Andrew Jones, Courtney Ramey, Greg Brown, and Jericho Sims. So I guess that means Kai Jones. Man, I'm worried I'm going to call him Kai Money a couple of times during basketball season. We've got too many Kais, right? Kai Loxley a couple of years ago, Kai Money, Kai Jones. I never heard the name Kai until the last three years covering the University of Texas Athletics. But yeah, I'd probably say Kai Jones coming off the bench. I mean, you could go with the Andrew Jones coming off the bench because he was really, really good in that role last year and provided a big-time offensive spark for your second unit, so I wouldn't hate that, right? As long as he's getting, you know, 25 minutes a game and getting, yeah, at least, and having uh, some contributing moments for this Texas basketball team and being in some important moments late in games. But I think it makes the most sense, if you are going to choose from those six, to probably start those five and uh, have Kai Jones, who's the least experienced of that bunch, outside of Greg Brown. But I think we all expect big things from Greg Brown. Uh, I would say Kai Jones would be your guy coming off the bench. So I kind of had this thought the other uh, today uh, in writing about Greg Brown, which will be up on Inside Texas at some point, in that you know Greg Brown is a guy who position-wise can kind of play a three or a four, I'd say, maybe in extremely small lineups, you can throw them at the five, but considering who you have on your roster, probably not the best idea to do that. Uh, but, you know, this is a guy that I think in tech in Shaka Smart's ball screen heavy or screen and roll heavy offense can really benefit body on the floor, including, you know, whether it be Jericho Sims or Kai Jones. I think what you can see happen is instead of Jericho or Kai being the guys who have to screen and roll, you can see Greg be the screener. You can see him either slip. You can see him roll to the bucket. You can see him pop for a shot, uh, a jump shot, or it'll allow guys like Matt, uh, Matt Coleman uh, or Andrew Jones to drive to the bucket. And maybe Jericho Sims and Kai Jones are kind of in a dunker spot uh, instead of, you know, being the, green man and can you know just play there and be ready for a dump off and give opponents two guys to worry about around the rim which really hasn't been a, a, a huge threat for in the past few years so if, if you're thinking of the offense that way um, I'm kind of the opinion that it also has to be Kai as well and I really like Jericho Sims I thought he was playing on his way if he had kept up his game the whole season um, I think he would have been good enough to probably go. I don't know if he would have gotten drafted even in the second round, uh, but I definitely feel like there would have been a team that decided that he was worth uh, the development, whether it be in the G League or, or elsewhere. Mm-hmm. I think he was playing that good of basketball until his injury last year. But you want a lot of – in this season with someone like uh, Greg Brown on the floor with you, you want guys who can you know, do a little bit of everything. And Kai Jones, I think, has a little bit more to his game than Jericho Sims. And he's got length, 
He's, uh, you know, I don't know if he had Sims explosive ability um, or his touch around the rim, but I think he's got a little bit more as far as, you know, jump shooting because Sims is a total zero there. And I think he's still an adequate rebounder. Uh, you just have to see how he defends. So yeah. um, I really like the what Kai Jones can be. Um, and I think that really is accentuated by Greg Brown being on the floor and taking some of those responsibilities of the screener. Uh, but it's a lot of what Kai Jones can be instead of not exactly what we know what he is already. He's definitely one of those players that Shaka always says, you know, th- these are the types of guys that take time and uh, he's only in his sophomore year. I'll tell you what, Joe, the number one priority for me for this Texas basketball team is tempo. They need to run. They've got athletes everywhere, all over the floor. They need to use them. I said that before last season. They didn't listen to me, and the team was not very good and was on the outside looking into the NCAA tournament before the season got canceled. They have to run. Shaka Smart is not a good half-court offensive coach. We know this. Neil Berry, the supposed offensive coordinator who was brought in a couple of years ago to fix the half-court offense, has not fixed the half-court offense. Shaka Smart's best teams at VCU, when they made the Final Four in 2011, what did they do? They were up-tempo. You don't necessarily need to go Havoc full-court press for 40 minutes, but God, you should be doing whatever you can to get out and run and try to outscore teams on the fast break and try to win games with your transition offense because I do not trust Shaka Smart to coach a half-court offense at all, and I think the personnel that Texas has, Texas has actually bodes well for them to be a tempo-paced team this year. So I would love to see that. I know, you know, the pick-and-roll offense, that's a huge part of the half-court offense for this basketball team. That's fine. you got to do something in the half-court to try to get buckets. But, man, you cannot be playing as slow as you played the last five years. You'd think at some point Shaka Smart would realize that, but here we are five years into his reign, and he's got no tournament wins, and I think you can point a lot of it to that. So you mentioned about getting out and running, and you probably saw Greg Brown at Vandegrift a little bit more than I was able to. Is that something that Shaka should do anyway going forward, or is that something that because Greg Brown's on campus and that's probably the best uh, way to deploy him, that you know that, that's why that's the best strategy for this upcoming season? Yes, to both questions. <laughs> I mean, Greg Brown's a freak in transition, man. He's one of the best athletes in the entire country. I haven't even seen him play college basketball I could say that fairly confidently, that he's one of the best athletes in all of college hoops. I mean, his second jump is one of the best that I've ever seen for a kid his age, and he can absolutely run the floor. He can get out in transition, and man, you know, I guess full crowds aren't usually a thing at the Flan, at the Irwin Center, Uh, but I was hoping this would be a year where maybe there would be some full crowds or at least like some good atmospheres at the Irwin Center because of COVID. I don't think that's going to be the case. I'm not even sure how many fans are allowed to be at these basketball games to start the year. But Greg Brown is an electrifying type of player, a guy who can bring a stadium of folks to their feet. The best way to do that is to let him get out and run. So I think that bodes best for Texas. I think they should have done that last year. But, yeah, definitely with a player like Greg Brown, you want to uh, get him out in the open floor and let him do his thing. 
Do we have uh, anything else on the basketball front, or are we just kind of want to wait and see what games Texas even plays before yeah. uh, moving on and, and getting any further into the discussion? Oh, it? man, I just hope we have a college basketball season, man. I hope we're able to start this thing, and I sure as hell hope we're able to finish this thing, right? I mean, getting robbed at the NCAA tournament was one of the worst moments of the year, and there's been some really, really bad moments, especially in the world of sports here in 2020, but not having the best sporting event of the calendar year year was crucial it was brutal it sucked in every right so hopefully we're able to uh, get this season done and have ourselves an NCAA tournament and obviously hopefully that Texas can be a part of that NCAA tournament and maybe win a couple of tournament games and get to that second weekend for the first time since 2008 all right I think that wraps up basketball I think it's time to move to our best segment that we do each week <laughs> the lock of the week yes sir and i cannot remember it's been a while so i don't remember what i hit last time uh but i think were we successful last time you're the one who has a better memory of this than i do uh, i'm going back and taking a look so i pushed my last pick i remember that i had notre dame minus or i had boston college plus 14 against notre dame and notre dame won by 14 so i know i had a push on my pick I'm scrolling through the week of games or the list of games from a couple of weeks ago to try to figure out what you had. I should have gone back and checked before we started this thing. I've got no idea, Joe. Uh, North <laughs> I Carolina. Myself. I used to be good at that. Yeah. Uh, but I do think I've got a game. All right. Yeah, go ahead and get a starter for this week. I'm going to go with an in-state rivalry, and uh, it's a game steeped in tradition. Both teams uh, really uh, look forward to this one every year, kind of some similar recruiting strategies. And, you know, when you have to face a team within your own state, uh, you know, those are the ones you always circle on the calendar. Hmm. Both teams in this matchup do that every single time. Uh, Big conference implications going on, big implications for two programs that, you know, who think they're in similar places, but, Maybe only one is at that place. Uh, and that's Rice minus 11.5 versus UTEP. I really think that the Owls uh, take care of business. I know that UTEP has kind of had an up-and-down season. Rice hasn't had much of a season. Uh, but, you know, they, these, these games are the ones that uh, these teams really care about. And uh, I'm going to go Rice uh, in 11.5 points wow. over the minors. Is it true that Rice has only played three games this year? They have had their season hit pretty hard yeah. by COVID, so I think that might be it. Uh, UTEP's had a few affected by it too, but uh, yeah, the Owls and Mike, and, uh, Mike Bloomgren have definitely been affected, uh, had their season and schedule. Unreal. All right, I like that pick, keeping things in-house. I'm also going to go with an in-state matchup, but not within the state of Texas. I'm going to the state of Alabama. I'm going to the Iron Bowl. <laughs> Auburn at Alabama. Dude, Alabama just beat Kentucky by 60 points last Saturday. I know Kentucky's not great, but like that program has been pretty solid the last couple of years under Stoops, and Alabama just shat on him, for lack of a better, more politically correct phrase. 63-3 to was the final score there. The tide are rolling. Auburn sucks. They're 5-2. and two. They should be 3-4. and four. They've gotten away with two ridiculously lucky wins in the SEC, And I don't mean like, oh, lucky bounce of the ball. I mean two horrible missed calls 
that literally gave them two wins in which the SEC came out and said we missed the calls after the games were over. So Auburn is lucky to be 5-2 and two right now. They are not a good football team. Alabama's pissed because Auburn beat them last year in the Iron Bowl. You know Nick Saban is out for revenge. You know Mac Jones is out for revenge. 24-and-a-half is the line. This line could be 34-and-a-half, and I'd still be picking Alabama. I think the tide roll in a big way in the Iron Bowl this Saturday. I think so, too. I think uh, Matt Jones may be going on the way to winning the second Heisman for Alabama. We'll see about that. We've got that to uh, see over these next few weeks. we got college football playoff rankings tonight mm-hmm. that uh, Texas will be in, uh, the top 25 of. Uh, but, you know, things are heating up with college football. Things are starting up with college basketball. And uh, that means that you want to give Tom McKay a call to see it all this winter, don't you, Brad? Oh, good call. Good call, my friend. 512-255-8678. It's the perfect holiday gift for yourself, and uh, your friends and family will love it, too. Get that custom TV set up from AV Consultations, and also get you some Altstat beer. If you want to be the hero at your Thanksgiving dinner this weekend, Hopefully you're keeping it pretty low profile, pretty low key. Maybe you're just eating with your roommates or by yourself, whatever. You can be a hero by bringing some Altstat beer. It's the best beer there is all across the state of Texas. we got to give them some love for sponsoring the 1-0 podcast. And Joe, before we get out of here, I know we gave our locks of the week, but we have not given our Texas pick. I need your thoughts. Who wins this game at DKR? On Friday, Texas a one-and-a-half-point favorite against Iowa State. Huge one for the Big 12. What do you think goes down this Friday morning? You know, I really think Texas wins ugly in typical Texas fashion. I, uh, I think that there's enough going for the horns into this game that they can win ugly, and uh, they will cover. I think it's 27-21 Texas. Uh, and Zach Edwards, like I said, holds a couple of key field goals. Wow, how about that? All right, I'm going to go with the Texas win as well. I just think this moment's too big for Iowa State, and I always expect the worst things from Texas, which sounds contradictory, right? No, you're picking Texas to win. That means they're likely to make the Big 12 championship. We might have to really touch on this in a future episode, maybe next week's episode, Joe. I feel like this thing is setting up for Texas to screw this up, isn't it? Like, Texas is going to win these last three games. They're going to get to Arlington. They're going to lose to Oklahoma. And then they're going to have the chance to get Urban Meyer, but they're going to, for some reason, keep Tom Herman around because he won six games in a row at the end of the regular season, and they feel like he can still be the guy. And they're going to screw up the Urban Meyer sweepstakes just like they screwed up Nick Saban a couple of uh, years ago. So there's a very pessimistic way to end the show. But your optimism is I'm picking Texas to win this game. And, God, I guess I'll pick a cover. I mean, I, I think it's 24-21, to 21, so our scores are relatively similar. I think it's a little bit closer of a Texas win, but I do think the Longhorns find a dub and keep their Big 12 title hopes alive on Friday. I like the matchup for Texas. We're just beacons of optimism. Yes, sir. That's what we do. All right. I think that's going to do it for us. Uh, fun episode. Appreciate all of y'all listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Give Joe a follow on Twitter at josephcook89. Check out the great work he does at InsideTexas.com. You can follow them at InsideTexas on Twitter as well. Listen to the Triple Option with RBKD weekdays from 3 to 7 on the Horn and HornFM.com. Please like, please share, please subscribe, please rate this podcast. Tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend 
about the One and O podcast and also the Everyone Gets a Trophy podcast. Thanks again to our sponsors. For Joe Cook, I am BK Brad Kellner. You'll have a safe and happy Thanksgiving. Thank you all so much. We'll talk next week. Until then, hook them.